Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Under the Radar SFF Books Podcast. I'm your host, Blaze, as always. Thank you so much for joining me, and thank you for being patient with me as I get back into the podcast creating groove of things. Um, Today, I am pleased to be joined by fantasy author Matthew Wolf. He's the author of the Ronin Saga and Kickstarter Extraordinaire. Matthew, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Blaze. This has been a long time coming. I've been excited for it. Yeah, we've been trying to get this scheduled for quite a while. I realize that, but you're a busy man. Uh, we're all yeah, we're all a little busy. So before we get into anything, how are how are you doing? Because we haven't heard much from you in the past couple months. I know you're working hard on your new works. How's how's life out there? Life is good. Um, thanks for asking. I've been just deep in writing for the most part. That's why I'm uh, sometimes a little MIA working on uh, the new series. Uh, Sky Thief in the Realm Walker and uh, series. And then I'm also just been doing some signings. I was planning on, it was kind of nice when COVID hit in, in a weird way. Um, you know, everyone's got a silver lining to, to, the, to the sadness, you know. Uh, but I, my silver lining was that uh, I was able to, to just really buckle down and write. And um, I did a lot of, uh, but I miss conventions. So I've been back in conventions and I've been doing, I just went to Denver uh, and was uh, at, um, uh, LA and a few others before that. So it's nice to be seeing people again. Yeah. When, when COVID hit, we all had to kind of buckle down and get through it in our own, own way. And it's great that you're going back to conventions nowadays, seeing, seeing people again. I know that must've been hard for you, um, not being able to go to, go to conventions and, uh, comic cons and stuff like that. So it was hard. It was really hard. It's funny because it's just like one of those things that I didn't really, count as something that I was I mean I used to do like 30 to 40 a year which was like too many uh it was you know like three or four a month and I was just constantly traveling and I was you know booking all my stuff and staying in these little tiny places and renting these cars it was just crazy but every time I'd get there and I'd start meeting people either returning and loyal fans or new fans it was just it would make my day I'd be like oh my gosh you know welcome welcome back to the saga or you know bringing new people into the fold. And uh, I didn't realize how much it was rejuvenating me. And obviously it set me up for having such an awesome fan base. You know, they, they say have just a thousand true fans. And I, I really think that the cons were uh, a catalyst for that. You know, it's kind of hard some, sometimes to meet people. And so, you know, a lot of people read on Amazon, they love it, you know, give you, give you a four or five star review, whatever, and then move on to the next book. But when you meet someone either on at a convention or on Kickstarter too, because that's also has a more personal uh, touch where, you know, I get to do videos, interact, do stretch goals and kind of get um, unique tiers. So yeah, I just really missed it. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to be back. I'm doing like 10 to 12 a year now. I said I was only gonna do the big ones. Turns out there's still a lot of big ones. So yeah, but it was, it was a weird time. Obviously that's an understatement for COVID, but um I was able to, when the convention stopped, I was like, oh, well, okay. Like they are a pretty, pretty significant stream of, uh, of revenue. And, but it was, it's when I switched full time to audiobooks, and then they started taking off. And I was like, wait a second, like, you know, my true, some, my true, true, if I really want to spend my hours per time, uh, cost efficiency would be just sitting in front of computer writing all day. But it just, 
it, you know, you need a balance. Um, Glad that you mentioned the audiobooks for your, your series. They are fantastic as one would expect. I just can't give enough of them as well as the books themselves. So the idea for the Ronin saga, I've heard you talk about this before, came to you, I believe, when you were in high school. So can you take can you take us back to that time of when this popped into your head and you knew you wanted to become an author? Yeah, I, I've mentioned this before, but um, the, what I haven't told people too much is that, so I wasn't really a reader, actually, when I was young, uh, which I always think is funny. Sometimes I tell people at conventions, um, especially when they're like 14, 15 year olds, you know, come to the table and they're advanced, you know, and I can tell that they might, you know, it's a little older for them, but they, they, they might be into it. I'm like, Hey, look, I wasn't a reader either, but uh, I can get you into the fold because uh, right, right around 16 or 17, someone introduced me to uh, wheel of time sort of truth. And I was like, I'm not a reader. I'm not a reader. But after about like 50 pages in, I, I believe it was, um, I think it was actually first sort of truth and uh, wizard's first rule and then wheel of time. And I, I just remember being like, you know, even, you know, they have faults of their own now looking back, but just being enraptured. And so I, I fell in love with fantasy then. And then I really didn't, never thought about the idea of writing, but I just had a core group of friends and we started playing D&D and things like that. I think a lot of people can kind of, you know, have similarities and, and, and have be like, oh, and then we, we kind of grew this, this little bit of the world on the side. And I had a character or two that I liked um, that was kind of maybe some of the genesis of the story. But it really wasn't until I was in I was in college at OSU and I was a totally different major and I was an astrophysics major. Um, I actually originally gone to I wasn't even going to be a, a <laughs> this is really why I'm telling all the people this. But I was actually going to be a master herbalist was my plan. <laughs> and my dad at the time was like, I'm not I'm not going to pay for that. He's like, I will I will help pay a little bit for that if you go to an accredited college that I approve of uh, for at least a year. Cause I'd read all these fantasy books. I'm like, I want to be, you know, nine of Eve. I want to be like this herbalist, you know, putting poultices on people and healing people the, the natural <laughs> way. My dad's a, uh, a plastic surgeon. So I just thought that kind of like would have rubbed, rubbed in the wrong way too. It was kind of fun. Um, yeah. And so, but I, I, well, I still found a lot of appeal towards the natural world. I started going, I went to OSU and, I, and about the first year in, I was fascinated with physics and astronomy. And I, so I went to become an astrophysics major but I found myself, while well, I, I thought it was cool, I, I was always writing stories and things on the side and really kind of more fascinated with that. And then it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And I was like, next thing I know, uh, I was drawing pictures and things on the side of my notes, wherever I went. And I had this really silly idea. This is, you know, I tell people this when I, when I do talks and stuff, but I, I was, I think I was, yeah, it was probably 18 or 19. And I just finished like wheel of time for like the sixth time or something like that. And I had an idea of a man who was like this kind of hardened stoic warrior who is living alone in his cabin and hears the call of this goblin, you know, that's like, you know, terrorizing some uh, neighbor, neighborhood village or something like that. And he gets up and he, you know, and he, and he takes up this goblin camp. It was, it was, it was fun and stereotypical. And, and I went home and I wrote and I just didn't stop writing. And uh, what really ended up happening, though, how it kind of grew and grew and became something really amazing was that I would take these drives home. I take these four hour drives home from I eventually transferred to, to Santa Barbara and uh, I would take these four hour drives home and I would just have a recorder while I was driving and just talk for all three or four hours about ideas. And I kind of honed away all the rough material of, of what the stereotypical generic stuff and kind of form Farhaven. 
and I liked the idea of the elements and I took away uh, and I liked the idea of flesh and metal and I thought those were kind of unique as far as elements went and I just kind of kept painting little little nuggets of gold and slowly Farhaven grew into what it is today. Yeah, that's that's an amazing um, beginning to how this story came about. And speaking of the elements, you have you don't have four, you have nine elements, and they're not your prototypical <laughs> elements. You got fire, water. I'm I'm going to try to name this, these correctly. I believe I got them: fire, water, leaf, um, stone. You got metal, flesh, and then you got sun and moon. So, what made you want to do not those particular nine elements? And you also have one that is forbidden the wind and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute yeah uh that's a great question so yeah that i i always thought the four elements were classic but i was like man like elements can be pulled and taken in such cool different directions and so i what's funny is that i i i hadn't first off by the way i actually actually haven't listened or watched avatar until about a year and a half ago and people are like oh this is like avatar elements and undertones and it's so cool that like these these things can kind of uh because the main character has kind of uh, wind and, and undertones, uh, not undertones, but wind. But what it happened is that I, I just loved, uh, I think the astronomy and the physics side of me kind of got really happy too, because I saw magic. I always like magic used in creative ways. I like the classic elemental, but we see in book one, you know, gray, the, the cover image, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but not too much, is that we know that it looks like lava, but he's created wind until it's, folded it over and over and over until it's harder than steel and he creates this kind of these you know uh shields of wind and so i was like what if i could take every traditional element and then turn them on his head and then i was like well what if i could add different elements i've never seen before and so i wanted every element to contrast each other you know obviously fire for water that's a classic um but moon and sun i thought was such a fun contrast and so i thought every one of them would have a contrast but the only one that wouldn't uh, flesh and metal has a contrast, but the only one that doesn't is is wind, and because wind is the all all pervasive one. And so, yeah, as the series progresses, people are seeing that they're they're used in cool different ways. Moon can do things like you know teleportation, portaling effects, can slip into shadows, can you know steal up people's powers. Flesh, you know, they can trigger the pressure points in the back of people's legs, see someone's heart, reanimate creatures. So um, I just, yeah, I wanted to take elements and, and really bring them new life and see what, what could come about it. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you love it and other people love that because I, I, that was one of my favorite parts and seeing how it went. And then the whole forbidden element was always fun to me. Um, so in seeing a character who can kind of like have, have a legacy and have this really, really powerful ability, but have to kind of tread softly with it. That's awesome. I love the wind element and some, some of the characters are just some of my favorites with just going through the, the sequence. So the Ronin saga, this is, this is your baby, nine book epic fantasy series, four books published already. Why don't you give us a little bit of a inside track as to what the story is about, what the plot is and what readers should be expecting going into it. Yeah. So the saga is about these, essentially these three friends, uh, it's kind of Harry Potter trio. Gray, Ava, and Darius, who their whole life they've been fascinated by the legends called the Ronin. The Ronin were these heroes of the day and age. They guard the nine cities. In this kind of time of fractious war, these nine warriors would come together, uh, the warrior of fire, the Ronin of fire from the city of fire, the Ronin of water from the city of water. They'd come from their different cities as these kind of independent entities of supreme power and take out a dark army, a rebel force, as a result, they were both loved and feared. Uh, kings and queens were like, oh my gosh, uh, please don't destroy us. Uh, and so now 
But now, flash forward a thousand years later, they're just a myth. Uh, mothers tell their children go to bed, otherwise the runner will get them. But as a shadow is encroaching back on the land, these nine warriors, these nine now feared warriors are returning, or at least that's what everyone thinks. Gray doesn't buy, he thinks the Ronin are good guys. He thinks that history is a way of changing the truth. But as he, this shadow kind of falls back on the land, he has to hope he's right because he runs into them out of this mist and shadow of a tavern um, and finds out the Ronin of fire, reads in flesh or reads in fire and water and stone, these nine storybook characters. And he is one of them. And so now his journey is to, with his two friends who also uh, lo and behold might have something in common have to go to the other cities and the whole kind of quest is that they have these powers that are innately tied to the elements so fire there's they go to city of fire have to find the young ronin of fire who obviously has this ownery fiery side to him mm-hmm. and they have to first find out you know eventually as we're kind of progressing into the series why why then why what's pulling what's what's drawing these ronin becoming the ronin as they are and but ultimately they didn't get lauded as the evil thing for no reason. So something else is destroying Farium, destroying the world. And so they kind of have to work against the stigma of being these kind of evil villains and then stop and unite. And so it's kind of this rush race against time to find the others of their kin in the other cities. So go to these cool, cool, magical cities of water and fire and sun, suns shining off these mirrored columns and glassy spires to find the others and stop the true insidious evil. And all the cities have their own unique elements. As you were saying, the city of sun is just riddled with, with mirrors that just reflect the sun off of it. The, the, the city of fire, the city of water, just big, big waterfalls everywhere. Those are very ingenious to, to write and to, to read on the books as well. So let's talk about the characters. Gray, obviously he's the main POV, starts off, has no memory of what, of what happened. And it's his job to learn about his past, it, your stories it has a lot of world building and has a lot of grit as well. Like I remember like in the first few, four or five chapters, there's some grim scenes in there. Did you know that uh, those scenes were just going to be very dark going into it? Or was that just something that evolved as you were writing it? I just evolved, you know, like going back now in hindsight, like I would probably cater to an audience or maybe, maybe I still try to write what's in my heart, but like, yeah, I had no consideration for for what was happening and even even only now in the last you know like looking back i'm like oh yeah that really is heavy that's really gnarly uh i didn't want to throw readers for a twist you know i didn't want the reader like okay hero gets a sword goes on a quest i wanted it a little bit i wanted it a little little heavier um yeah i think that's the fun part because i want some realism i I don't really believe quite in the not going to trash certain genres in the super grim dark where everyone dies and no one lives uh, I do like some heroism and notes of honor and hope and truth. Like I really, I don't think everyone's evil, you know? <laughs> I think that we all have, we all want to be good and we all do have shades of gray, but it's the moments of of evil that define us and it's the moments of truth that define us. We don't always turn to shadow. And I really like following, when I, reason why I read Wizard's First Rule and Wheel of Time and Rand, all these characters was because they, despite their complexity, they were wanting to do the right thing. And they had a, a whole wave of darkness facing them. And I wanted I wanted to escape another world where I believed that they could do something amazing. So I wanted to give some grit and some reality to that, to answer your question, so that when they do overcome that, it's... Um... But yeah, Gray, uh, Gray doesn't encounter a lot, uh, especially in the first book. And there's a lot of world building. And I like how it kind of... I, I am a fan of how, as you watch, there's the you need the levity of certain characters. Yeah. Um, 
so certain characters I think and I think we know uh, was one character that's a favorite among the series who uh, who helps kind of soften the grim parts. Yeah, he's my he's my favorite too. Yeah, <laughs> no spoilers, but he's my favorite. Spoilers, very answer. And one cool thing I remember reading about the about the Ronin and just learning about the history of them is they all have their own unique powers. But their powers are only amplified when they hold on to their swords, kind of like you referenced the Wheel of Time. You read it a lot, kind of like their on, the Unreal with the Aes Sedai, extending their powers beyond. Can you just talk about that? And was that your influence for writing uh, those parts in them? Because each sword is uniquely different as well. Precisely. Yeah, that's definitely where it comes from. And so the Ronin, so there's basically two different classes, as, as you know. There's the Ronin and there's uh, Reavers. There's, which of course there's other classes of magic users in the world, but essentially there's those who can wield the flow, which are the Ronin, those who can wield just spark. And to wield the spark is to be able to use water, fire, stone, moon, sun, uh, metal, flesh, not wind. That's the only one that they can't tap into with a spark. Um, we haven't figured out why yet, but, and they can use them in conjunction. So they can do things like smooth their skirt by you know, pressing it out by you know, taking out the wrinkles with a little sun and water or fire and water. So it's kind of used how they creatively weave these elements together. But what I always wanted is that with the Ronin, the flow is something that the spark you can pull, you have to pull from the air. You know, if you pull too much water from the air, you sap the air. Um, you can't, you can't, you can only draw so much. You know, if you're not near a river, you can only draw so much. Earth, you know, only draw so much. And if you're surrounded by water, you can only draw so much and so forth. But whereas the Ronin can pull it from nothing seemingly. So that's kind of the fun difference is that their powers don't really, while they have, you know, limits for sure, they can, you know, they wield too much. They also have more creative uses of just a singular element because they are limited to a singular element. Uh, we have an element uh, in book one, we see a scene that I mentioned to a few people and where words are just vibrations in the air. And so mm -hmm. Gray cups the vibrations before someone's or Kale does it and pulls it to his ear to hear what they're saying. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like, that's the hope is that as Gray and, and company at, at, at continue, they're gonna realize that there's a lot of creative uses for wind and water and fire and stone and, and so forth. And, uh, but yeah, the, the powers amplified is definitely a, a Wheel of Time reference. Oh, glad, glad I caught that, that reference. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Wheel of Time uh, fan as, as well. Listen to all of the books, watch the first season of the show. I don't know if you've watched the uh, first season of the show. I haven't yet. I've, been, I've heard mixed things and I, I, it's a childhood, I'm gonna watch it. Um, mostly I've just been locked up writing Sky Thief, but yeah, I've, I've watched, I've watched them all. I don't know, I've read, I've read, read them multiple times and listened to audiobooks recently because they're Michael Kramer, I think, and Kate, Kate Redding do. Yes. They're, so, uh, they're amazing. They're amazing. Yeah. They're actually going to be doing the audiobook of Sky Thief too. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah. They do. They did the, um, short stories of the saga. Um, uh, but no, should I watch it? Is it, is it, what, what's your take? So would you classify yourself as a super diehard fan or like a casual fa fan of the, of the books? You're probably a diehard, right? I'm like nostalgia diehard, if that makes sense. Okay. So I've had conversations with other authors who are also diehards. Go into it, not holding on to like, it has to be exactly like the book is going oh. to be because it, it's not like even that first episode, there's a huge shift. It's enjoyable, but some some of the changes they make might be a little bit too much. But if you go into it saying that just just for what it is in the show, it's I enjoyed it, but some people just didn't. So just go in with an open mind. 
then I'll, I'll have more fun that way. Yeah. And I, I want to see the world. So just seeing the world in some sort of new iteration sounds fun. Yeah. And some of the, um, obviously the changes they they've made has no, has no bearing on how great the actors and actresses did in the show. They're the ones who made the show worth watching a hundred percent. So for that, it's definitely worth, worth the go. And um, I look forward to season two whenever it drops. So fingers crossed that it's uh, at least because the great hunt is probably one of my favorite books in the series. So um, can't wait to see what they do for that. So four published books so far, I'm assuming you're writing the the fifth one now. Can't wait for to see that one. Um, how would you say how much you've grown as an author from writing book one all the way up to book four and even some of the short stories that you've, um, that you've released? A lot, <laughs> a lot. I think it's so crazy. I don't know how other authors kind of handle or deal with it. I know I've talked with other ones like, um, Brent Weeks, who did the Niangel uh, trilogy and some other people like that. I know he specifically is one of the first ones that come to mind because um, he, he's always just like, I hate it. I'm like, that's, that was such a good first series. And there's so many books that like you start out and you grow and, but there's some beautiful magical bits of some, there's, there's something unquantifiable about a first, your, the earlier stuff in the series, because I think you're new to it. And so you're willing, it's like seeing the world through, through the eyes of a writer for the first time and be like, man, like, I wonder what this is like. But that said, and I know while book one is a lot of people's favorites, I just think that there's just, it's crazy how much you can grow. Uh, I love the dynamics and the characters as they kind of shift and evolve. Um, I think Darius in book one is a, is a great character, but I think we see so much evolution and his arc is so much fun to portray. Um, and, and Helix and Darius and, are, are in Faye and all these characters that you, as you grow as a writer, you can kind of hint at one side and hint at things and kind of allude more um, and just be more subtle. So yeah, it's been weird to be like direct. I mean, like there's a lot of, they just get better and better reviews as the, as the books go on, which like that sounds like bragging, but it's kind of an interesting scenario because you're like, well, how much different is it from book one to book four? Like, you know, if you, um, that's part of the reason that, that Sky Thief is, is around actually, because while well, a lot of people love book one and it's definitely my bestseller, Sky Thief is, is to say, hey, look, if you you know you know weren't a huge fan, then you're going like there's a lot di- there's a lot more subtleties and different intricacies and things like that, and so you know you never read book three or book four, and so Sky Thief, you will, and and then you'll get to dive into book one, two, three, four, and then as we'll kind of probably talk about a little bit later is is uh, you'll see the tie-ins between the two worlds, between my new series and, and Farhaven. And that'll kind of get you stoked on, um, on, on what's, what came after Sky Thief. So yeah, it's, it's just amazing. As, 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 and in some ways it's not just better, in some ways it's just different. Um, and I love, and so now I, I do things, I still want to keep that note of heroism and honor and truth and like have characters who like, who are good, you know, who don't just like, I kill them off immediately because then you're like, well, I don't like anyone in the series, but they're all, they're all shades of gray and they're no redeeming qualities. But, um, but yeah, it's fun to, to really play off dynamics and to take characters that maybe seem unlikable. Uh, one of my, my favorite things that I did, I think in book four without too much spoilering was Mathelstan was a, was a character who, if I'd written it probably four or five years ago, he probably would have been a, f- a fairly flat character, like a fairly neutral, mm-hmm. bad guy. Um, but after a few iterations of him, I really loved watching how he became this kind of conflicted character who thought he was doing the right thing and we don't really know. And you, you have to kind of take sides on 
who this deep floor really is. And at the very end, I think everyone has a take on on what he contributed to to, to Farhaven, but um, it was cool to pull that richness out of a character who would have been bad guy, must kill, and now he's like he's not that anymore. Yeah, I um, my favorite book is actually book four, just because how book three ended, the the tie ins, especially with Faye and Gray and and Darius and everything and that twist you put in the middle we'll talk about it off of the podcast but that twist it's still it's still it's still in the back of my mind it's like how could you do that i don't get it um so i didn't see that coming, that's for sure that's awesome let's shift gears a little bit to um how you published the books because you went down the not the traditional publishing you did the self-publishing route oh. and specifically with with kickstarter you're probably one of the more active authors who does his works on Kickstarter, apart from Michael J. Sullivan. Um, what made you want to go down the self-publishing route as opposed to traditional? And you can just break us through into like a little bit of the Kickstarter um, campaign and how new authors can go about that. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, when I was starting, it was actually like people were going more and more indie, but it still had like a hint of a stigma. But as time goes on, there's just less and less and everyone's, you know, Sullivan's a great example of, you know, how, you become these hybrid authors where you go one and then you just really go back to the other. And even Sanderson's a great example. I mean, he's, you know, this last book, even though he's a totally traditionally published author, he has gone, you know, his last Kickstarter was so crazy and it was all him, you know, he's able to do it himself, you know, with his team. So for me, I, I had a bunch of agents that were interested in the saga and they wanted partial manuscripts and things like that. And I was stuck in the query quagmire I was sending out books and, and things like that. And they were like, I love it, but can we change this? And I started to lose my tone and my voice. And I was afraid that I was going to be there for 20 years, you know, or 10 years or whoever. I think I knew it was going to be, you know, would be get traditionally published. I just didn't know if it would take a year or however long. And uh, so I eventually decided to, um, I had all this passion, this enthusiasm. And I was doing talks at the time. And I was like, you know what, I could go around like Paolini and do these talks and, and kind of build up a, a fan base. And so that's kind of what I did to kind of build a little interest ahead of time. Um, and then I launched my Kickstarter in 2014 for book one. And I was blown away, um, you know, because at that time it was just an 18, 19 year old's dream. I would say that the first thing you got to do, um, it's going to sound like really standard stuff, but you is, is just get really, really amazing creative artists on your side. Um, things, if your writing is at a certain caliber, which is of course really step one, make your book amazing, find it over and over again. Um, but hire, hire creative artists uh, that are really talented artists. I went on DeviantArt um, and DeviantArt was one of my favorite ways for looking for artists. There's so many good artists there and a lot of them are just publishing art on there and, and uh, looking looking for for new uh new commissions and things like that and so i found first i found noah bradley who does uh magic the gathering and then i found flavio bola who now does the rest of the series and he's amazing i can literally draw these sketches i draw all these sketches you know we're uh we're on camera I'll, I'll have to show you pictures but i have all these sketches and things like that that i, I put in my journals and he just makes them look good <laughs> so yeah so make amazing uh connections with artists that can bring it to the next level. And then I published my first one and it got, I think about three or $4,000. And then you just roll it over to the next one. And then book two came out. And then we, I think we broke like five or six. Um, and then book three was like six or seven. And then uh, book four made connection with Michael Sullivan. You know, we, we did top five, much more than that, you know, 
they could rope 20 and, and so forth. And so it's just been, it's been about kind of being, delivering on time. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's like probably five tenants, like always over delivering as much as possible. So adding more content, more goodies, cool merchandise, things that people would never get anywhere else like challenge coins and all that stuff were really, really, really popular. Things that, things that you would like do that for the readers, you know, I think the, the, the challenge with are awesome. So um, things like that deliver early as in like early bird releases always for me come out a month or two before the general public. So I think that kind of adds a, a sense of kind of uh, insidership and then, yeah, always deliver on time. And then, um, and then, you know, also the personal touches with like the signed copies and everything, I, you know, I'm sitting there till my wrist gets sore, you know, 24 hours of signing, but it's, it's so awesome. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, and then, yeah. And then, and just making connections. I was also really lucky when book four, book two audiobook came out, um, me and Michael Solo were in contact and he, he helped, uh, do a little shout out. Uh, and it really kind of blew up even, even more at that time. So connections as, as is with most things really go a long way. Um, but yeah, just making those connections and kind of starting a new fan base. Con- conventions really help too, because um, I'd make emails every time I go to convention. I get like two or three or four hundred emails um, from people like, yeah, let me know what's what's coming out next. So my email list um, has blown up more than anything else, and that's so for new authors, really treat your email list as gold, you know, because they're they're your people who are like, yeah, what's coming out next. So yeah, that's probably the best best tips I have. Yeah, and your Kickstarters. Um, I'm a proud supporter of them. I'm holding book one of the, the Knife's Edge right here. I'm also a backer for the audiobooks. So they are, they're fantastic guys. Give this, give this um, series a try. It's really, uh, it's really different from other stuff I've read in terms of um, Ronan kind of like the, the samurai people coming back with different elements and just the characters are just growing you tremendously. But apart from the Ronan saga, you have a new book coming out. You have Sky Thief uh, coming out uh, in the next few months or so. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> be prepared for me to try to keep my answers clipped because I'm so excited for it. Um, Go as long as you need to. Cool. Yeah, It's it's been so fun. It's been so fun. I mean, it's funny because, so it's been really hard for me in a weird way because a lot of people are, are like, you know, I have these amazing uh, readers and fans and patrons and, and all these people. And I'm like, hey, by the way, as soon as I released book four, I, I outlined book five, and I was on a run. And I'm like, so now I'm like, they're like, okay, where's book five? And I'm like, hey, by the way, here's Sky Thief. And so it's been one of those things that I, I'm like, I hope you guys uh, know that I'm, I'm and it, it, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I wish I could split myself in two because there's no lack of passion on Farhaven and, and the Ronin Saga. I love this idea of a new series. I love kind of the blend of the two worlds. And uh, and I'll tell you kind of how the genesis started too of that. But yeah, so so Skype started because I was writing book five and I was outlining it out and everyone's okay, like what's what's going on? And I, I kind of end book four, not really on a cliffhanger, um, but it's, you know what's coming next. And there's a lot of things that have to happen. They have to go to the next great kingdoms, uh, including our leaf friend. And uh, there's character relationships are just budding and, uh, there's just some really, really fun dynamics, including a, a, a sassy dog like leaf bug, you know, there's just a lot of fun things. And I was, I wrote so much content afterwards, um, but I, I had some agents reach out to me at that same time. And they're like, hey, look, we love the Ronin Saga. Um, and we, we actually, cause I was previously reaching out to them about a year or two before. 
and they took a little delay to get back to me and they said, we'd love to kind of republish certain parts of it. Uh, but we'd, we'd actually much rather be know if you have anything else new on the chopping block. And I was like, yes. And I kind of did and I kind of didn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I had an idea in my head and I just sat down to outline it and send it back to them. And uh, I outlined it and it was like really good. And that line certainly became a chapter and the chapter suddenly became two chapters and so forth. And I sent it to the agents and they said, yeah, we'd love, we'd love to get a part of this. And uh, so it, it originally was actually going to be a traditionally published book. Um, and then when I got about 60, 70% of the way in, I was like, wait a second, like I, I've, you know, I have my fan base and I have these people, I want to do it my way, you know, and mm -hmm. I have creative authority. So uh, I just, you know, uh, kind of, you know, play was like, I'm just going to do sky tape. Maybe if I have a third series, I'll, I'll go that route. Um, but yeah, so it was partly in response to the agents. And then partly, as I mentioned before, was that if you love book three and four, but if you're on the fence about book one, sky thief is a perfect introduction because you'll, you'll, you know, you'll get introduced to characters and you'll then be able to be like, okay, I want to know more background to Barhaven. Cause that's the problem with, uh, with a new series. It's, there's a basically, or not with a new series, the read through rate on most books is about 40 to 50% on fantasy. Whereas on mine, I'm lucky enough to have about a 55 to 60% read through rate um, and about 70 or 80 as the books go higher. But that's the problem with book one. I'm like 50 or 60, I want like 80 or 90 on that first one. So um, that was part of it. I was like, okay, like, I'll see if we can get that 70 or 80 on book one. Uh, or higher. And what ended up happening is I have a buddy whose name is Kyle Kieran, who is also in uh, the world of fantasy, but he's actually in the world of progression fantasy. So progression fantasy is something I can kind of talk about. It's kind of a, it's a new genre. There's a, it's, it's kind of the middle ground between lit RPG and uh, fantasy um, where it's not quite like level 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 and crunchy and kind of video gamey but it still has a uh, advancement system and so forth but anyway um i he was like hey dude you are crushing the fantasy world and that is a huge ocean uh you should come to the progression fantasy world and or at least do subtle tones of it and the algorithm on amazon is amazing and people will i know my fans would love it and other people would love it and so that's kind of how it got started so i had these subtle tones in sky thief of a progression fantasy uh, where there's an advancement system and things like that. And so, and the items and things like that have, have, have relative rank requirements and, and whatnot. So it starts with copper and then it goes to silver uh, and then gold, uh, and then you become uh, um, warden and then guardian and then eternal. So there's these, these, these specific classifications, but, but still without that kind of like crunchiness that lit rpg does and kind of that unrealism of lit rpg where you have to like enter into a new world um put on a headset or whatever so the realm walker series is a series where you have to gray or sorry dren <laughs> so so condition of far even dren is in a kind of dystopian world um a new 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 york basically our world mm -hmm. uh in a futuristic version of it and he uh is kind of a rapscallion thief uh, who's living day to day in these kind of sewers and kind of dingy, grungy life. <laughs> and he um, decides, he ends up getting, uh, he sees the world is kind of being torn apart by this man, Marcus Hallett, who's this very, very rich, um, kind of like evil uh, Bruce Wayne of the world, 
who has created this kind of immortality potion that has kind of turned everyone into zombies uh, in a way because it worked and then it didn't work. We don't know, like, in Dren ends up hating because his sister, we find out, ends up being wrapped up as part of it. And so then Dren ends up going into Marcus Hound's mansion to steal from the man to find out what's going on, to maybe exact vengeance. And in the process, he discovers mysteries and unknowns way over his head, ends up going with a friend, Voxatorus, who is like this big, bulky, also thief. And they end up finding this pool of magic that's been around for eons. Uh, that apparently Marcus Hallen has been going into the other worlds, specifically one other world, um, to rank up and advance and to kind of uh, to, to become stronger. And so they fall into this new world, and now it's uh, Dren's mission to find Marcus Hallen, uh, who is kind of seems to be kind of this um, sponge who soaks up worlds and goes up into new ones and, and kind of go, you know steals from them. So now he's got to climb this world tree and become stronger and stronger and stronger. So it's like an ultimate underdog story. Long story short, it's a it's this underdog story of this young man who has to climb a tree and stop this evil dude. Who it's super super fun. Uh, the character has a lot of notes of I think one of my favorite things to write are kind of these irreverent, quirky, sarcastic humor uh, and you know kind of humor induced characters. And uh, so Drain is that he's a he's a kind of a a spinoff on Darius plus someone else. And so now it's his journey to as in this entirely new world. So it's really fun to watch him really be weird and different and be overwhelmed constantly. So it has a totally different tone because he's like, oh, you know, giant spiders and things like that. Nothing normal from his normal world. Yeah. And so that's kind of how it started and kind of grew and grew and grew. Uh, and then I just fell in love with, with, with it. And I'm like, I got to give it to give it to the fans and then, and then jump back into book five. Yeah. The way you were talking about the progression fantasy leveling up with like uh, copper or silver and gold, it reminds me of um, Will White's series, Cradle series. I don't know if you've heard of it or, or read it, but he's just killing it right now. And everyone's like going crazy over the series, myself included. So. Yeah. Oh, hundred. You just nailed. Yeah. If you're, yeah, that's, that's really was one of the genesis of it. Yeah, Dread God just released and he's top one. He's just super, super good. It's such a fast-paced, fun series. So it very much has cradle kind of elements. Uh, my buddy introduced me. He said, hey, you got to read 20 progression fantasies to get introduced to it. So before I even started writing it, I read Will, uh, Will White's cradle series. Me and Will White actually were buddies back in the day. Like we were chatting and now he's just, you know, yeah. huge. He's just crazy. Uh, I reached out to him recently. I'm like, hey, Will, remember when you said you read book one and it started your your desire to love to write fantasy? And he's like, then it was like, I'm an assistant for Will. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, Will. <laughs> and, yeah, so it was uh, Will White's Cradle series, He Who Fights with Monsters, The Wandering Inn, a bunch of them, basically like, I, you know, 20 or 30. My buddy, who, uh, who I'm close friends with, who kind of inspired me and kind of pushed me, uh, is Kyle Kieran, who wrote The Shade Slinger the, and the, the Ripple System. He's also doing super, super well. So yeah, it's such a fun, I love the character. I love the advancement. You just, you have to get stronger. And there's always this, just like with uh, Lyndon's character, there's always this creative way where they're always outpowered, but they always find a way to kind of come through. And now of course in the series, as it kind of goes on, they're less and less outpowered. There's a turning point in the book when they become pretty darn powerful. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it fulfills this kind of young, you know, my childhood passion of like, of course, Gray and Terry and some of these characters get a lot stronger and they, they develop it. It's a, it's a more, I'd say it's a, you know, 
gradual progression. Um, but I love this kind of idea of like, you know, facing off against bullies and getting stronger every single time. And uh, yeah, so my series has a lot of uh, similar undertones. It has a little bit of the um, uh, two things I'd say. Some of the Eastern medicine or Eastern kind of culture stuff, a little bit, not as much cultivation, has a little bit of like, you know, imbibing elixirs and meditation. Uh, the other half is in, in kind of internal stuff to get stronger, um, to harness their powers. And of course, killing creatures and monsters and defeating their foes. Uh, when they kill things, things have spark, just like Farhaven and the spark comes into them. Uh, mm -hmm. If they learn how to breathe it in and manipulate it. The other thing is the, the items. So the item itemization is a huge part of it. And so item, you know, I think that's, I wanted to kind of blend both worlds where it's not just purely item-based, which doesn't feel as, you know, they're the ones powering up, but the items become a part of their body, their personality. Uh, so it's like hover boots and arsenal glove, which is like this cool uh, weapon that kind of like ranks up and advances with him. Um, and of course, as they advance, they can use more powerful items. Uh, so it kind of has that both, has the itemization plus the cultivation. And then of course, the tree climbing thing, uh, <laughs> tower climb, I think is so fun. So it's this giant world tree that they have to climb. So yeah, um, you know, I'm writing on the coat coattails of greatness, but if you love Will White, then I think you'll really love Sky Thief. Can't wait to can't wait to read it. When can uh when can readers expect next? So we're launching the Kickstarter on, I believe, looking at the July 19th. So this is gonna be one of the biggest ones yet. We're gonna do tons of special editions, more artwork than we've ever done before. Uh, insider things, a stretch, some really awesome stretch goals. One of my favorite stretch goals, uh, aside from more interior artwork and gold boss, we're going to do leather uh, maps of the series or either faux leather or leather maps of the series that are really, really cool maps already done. And so you're going to be able to like have some really, really awesome one first edition printed only things. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've been hyping this one. That's why I'm excited to to go on awesome podcasts like this because I'm 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 excited to get as many people in on uh, on this one. I think it's gonna be the the biggest one yet by far. Um, so we're looking to release it on officially. That will make the book November, I think, for the actual in your hands. And the general public is looking to have it around January or February. So you'll have about two or three months ahead of time uh, from the general public. So be sure to join that Kickstarter to get it in your hands before for next year. I guarantee you I'm going to be one of those um, supporting this amazing, amazing Kickstarter. So thank you so much. Uh, one final question before we head off. I don't know how much uh, what you're reading, right? Uh, sorry, you're diving into writing right now and getting out these two, two books. Do you do any reading in your spare time? And do you have any suggestions for kind of series that have gone like unnoticed or under the radar in, since you, um, to your mind? Hmm. Good question. Yeah. I'm always trying to promote new, new good books. I do end up sometimes getting in a rut rereading the same good fantasies over again. Well, I did read just a lot of progression fantasy and everything under the sun right now. I would say Raven Tower of Blood. Uh, no, that's not Anthony. Blood Song. Blood Song. Thank you. You said it. Yeah. I just, my brains. Yeah. Blood Song. Yeah, I read that one again and forgot how much I liked the the kind of uh, the the quick the quickness of the writing and the kind of uh, I, I I've heard mixed things on the second and third book, but I just I know I'm a little behind on that series. But um, the first book was really, really, really quickly cleanly written. But otherwise, yeah, I think I'm I'm just on a progression fantasy kick. 
I've been kind of homely reading uh, the wa- the Wandering Inn. It's 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 got I'm not ever gonna like it's kind of uh, it's got some meanderingness to it, um, but it's kind of fun to to tune on and listen listen to and kind of tune out to. But yeah, otherwise mostly just uh, working on Sky Thief and, and trying to get that one uh, out there and. But if anyone else has good fantasy, send it my way so I can I can t- once once I'm done with this, I can take a break and, and dive into it. Well, I got a, I got a good list. I'll I'll send you. So don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap up. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, why don't you uh, let um, the listeners know where they can find you, your website, Twitter, and when they can f- expect um, where they can find you on Kickstarter. Perfect. Yeah, the best way is. Um, my Instagram is wolf underscore writer. Um, and that had the first link in my bio will be a direct link to the Kickstarter where you can follow along. You want to click on that because the early bird specials go last time was like five minutes, I think five or 10 minutes top. So uh, you want to click on that. It automatically send you an email as soon as the Kickstarter goes live, which will be July 19th. And so then you can, you can set your copy before they, they go out. Um, and then otherwise matt-wolf.com is where you can, get signed copies of the book, stay connected, see what my convention schedule and all that's like, uh, facebook.com slash Ronan Saga. But mostly, uh, yeah, just follow me on Instagram. That's kind of slowly growing. That's where I respond to my DMs the quickest. Uh, yeah, watch as it, as it kind of grows. Let me know what you think of the saga. Oh, I sure will. Thank you so much for joining me, Matthew. And thank you all for listening. Until then, cheers.